Welcome to Advancing All Women with Sarah Alter, President and CEO of Next Up. On this show, you'll hear top executives and experts talk the most pressing topics of the moment for women in the workplace, including key issues that affect the advancement of women, creating better workplaces for women of color, DEI and B solutions, and more. Now, here's your host, Sarah Alter. So today we talk about risk and there are two misperceptions that we're going to debunk in our discussion. The first, all risk is negative. And I've done a fair bit of research to prepare for this. And I've also quite frankly, personally and professionally taken risks. So I, I feel that that can help feed our discussion. Risk taking is a normal part of healthy development, yet most people tend to perceive it as just it's inherently negative. And, and you think about like the examples of, of negative risk, violence, you know, alcoholism, drug or tobacco use disorder, uh, risky sexual behaviors, eating disorders, inadequate physical activity, the list goes on, right? The reality though is, is what I've come to decide is that risks are choices and sometimes they can provide great opportunities. I think what just makes everybody so stressed or fearful about risk is that there are uncertain potential outcomes and they can be either desirable or they can be undesirable. But when you think about it, like in, in like, you know, winning or losing money in a gamble or in a bet, right? So positive risk-taking is about learning new things exploring unfamiliar territory, perhaps even, you know, moving to a new city or, or changing your job. And the risk is positive because, well, it still evokes a feeling of stress, uncertainty, or fear. You get to develop a new skill or, or have a new experience. And there's possibly a positive outcome, like maybe a big raise. And each risk you face, it doesn't have to be life-changing. That's the other big realization I've had in you know, researching for this show. Sometimes even the smallest of decisions or steps can be stressful and have great impact on you or others. That second misperception, and this is what we're going to spend a lot of time talking about, that all women are risk averse. Okay. There's a plethora of studies out there that suggest this, but then there's an equal number of studies that refute it or negate it. And the key word in this statement is all. And we clearly all appreciate, right, that not all women are alike. Michelle, one of our guests, she's going to help shed some great light and research on this misperception. No matter what your gender, typically our attitudes towards risk are often shaped earlier in our lives by our circumstances, our social environment, our parents, our friends. In my family, we were raised to never, ever rock the boat. And we were told avoid risks at all costs. So you can imagine how this played out, you know, as I, I started my, my career journey. Well, flash forward, I tackle risk every day now. And I guide others to do the same in, in all that we do to bring the mission of Next Step to life. And why even like pursuing this partnership with Voice America and doing this show, oh, that was a major risk and gamble. And, and clearly, I'm glad to say, it's paid off. Okay, enough about me. Today, you're going to hear from three incredible leaders who are going to share what role risk has played in their lives and careers 
and how to embrace it. I'm Sarah Alter, your host of the Advancing All Women radio show and podcast, and proudly the CEO and president of Next Up. And I am joined by the incredible Sarah Pugh, Director of Merchant Marketing at Uber Eats, Chelsea Alexander, Vice President of CPG Brand Growth for Packable, and Michelle Wooker, author, founder, and CEO of Gray Rhino and Company. Well, welcome everybody. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. All righty, Michelle, we are going to kick it off with you as we always do. I'm going to ask you, okay, why are you here this morning? <laughs> and Michelle and I are fellow Chicagoans. I love that. Um, okay. Tell us a little bit about your personal and professional journey and why you even offered up to join us all in this great conversation today. <laughs> well, thanks for having me on such a foggy, foggy day. Now. I am an author. I'm a speaker, strategic advisor. Uh, I'm obsessed with risk. I'm a, mm. a recovering policy wonk, uh, think tank executive, and and uh, early in my career, financial <laughs> journalist. Um, I try not to be a too too wonky. In fact, when I was in think tanks, uh, my my tagline was, you know, policy is not for wonks. That I'm really mm. all about taking complex ideas and oh. and making them accessible to lots of people. It, it, embrace that inner wonkiness, right? <laughs> like I embrace my geekiness big time. Yeah. Well, all good things in moderation, I think. <laughs> but uh, so I, I write about risk. Um, about a decade ago, I came up with the concept of the gray rhino, which is think of the big scary thing with a horn, two tons, hoeing yeah. the ground, snorting, angry, about to charge at you. And what are you going to do? It's really a challenge to get people to take a fresh look at the obvious challenges in their life. And obviously, yeah. that's all about risk management. And uh, when I went around the books of a policy in business and uh, people at my book tour said, how do I apply this to my personal life? Or they'd even just say, this is how I apply it to my personal life. And so last year I came out with You Are What You Risk, which is a sequel, which uh, looks obviously at risk, but it looks what each one of us brings to risks, our innate personality, our experiences, our environment, both our physical environment, our social and peer environment, and the organizations and the society that we're into. And it really uh, asks why each one of us takes or passes on the risks that we do. And it argues that, that all of the risks that you take, all of the choices that you make, tell the world exactly who you are. Yeah. No, you are what you risk. And, and just so everybody knows, we're going to have a ton of great links when we post the ultimate podcast of this show. And you'll, you'll see links to these two phenomenal books um, that Michelle has written. You are what you risk. I love that. Okay, Chelsea, you are what you risk. Yes, I am <laughs> what right, I risk. Tell us about your personal and professional journey and why you are here. Absolutely. Yeah. So I'll, I'll start with personal and I'll definitely dovetail into why I'm here. So my name is Chelsea Alexander. As Sarah mentioned, I'm the vice president of CPG Brand Growth at Packable, which is a tech e-commerce enablement platform that specializes in helping brands both established and emerging uh, to accelerate their brands on um, marketplaces, which is the fastest uh, 
growing element of e-commerce and um, a little bit about me personally. So I like to say that I was born in Ohio, but raised in Texas. I kind of uh, split my adolescence in both. (laughs) Um, And so my mom and I moved to Texas when I was about nine. And then when I ended my adolescence and was deciding where to go to school, I ended up back in Ohio, which was going to be a recurring theme in my life. I just didn't know it yet. Um, so I moved back to Ohio to go to Xavier University, and that's where I discovered uh, PNG. Uh, any school or anyone in Cincinnati uh, knows PNG, and I, I wasn't <laughs> very aware of who they were. I obviously knew the brands, um, and so I decided to start my adult life and my career with PNG. And I actually spent 12 years with PNG. I had a phenomenal uh, career. I developed outstanding relationships. It's I, I know I'll look back and it'll be an incredibly important chapter in my life, probably one of the most. But why I'm here is about a year ago, I um, made a decision to uh, do something a bit different and took a, yeah. what would, most would consider and certainly myself a pretty big risk in my career. Um, and I jumped into a new industry. I moved to a new state. Um, and uh, started a completely new um, job with a completely new team. Um, and so I, uh, I know we're going to get into this, but that's definitely one of the larger risks I've taken in my life, certainly in my career. Yeah, no. And, and I know you and I, when we were exchanging emails, it's like no risk, no reward. That's right. Yeah. So it, yeah, no, I, I, and we'll, and like you said, we'll hear more about your journey. I'm excited. Um, Sarah. Welcome, welcome. Okay, so Sarah's in California, so she woke up the chickens today. So thank you, Sarah. So appreciate that. But let's hear about your your journey. Yeah, thank you so much, Sarah. First of all, thank you so much for the wonderful invitation. This has been a very exciting podcast to get into. But um, so yes, my name is Sarah Pugh. I am the recently the new head of merchant marketing at Uber Eats. I lead a mighty team of marketing gurus responsible for helping small businesses grow. Um, my career, though, started in, in corporate communications, and I stayed there for you know probably 10 to 12 years. At first, coming from the financial services side, living at Wells Fargo Bank, supporting small businesses on the PR side, and then I moved over to Visa in a similar role, supporting small businesses, credit, debit, mm-hmm. brand, sponsorship, all of that fun stuff. It was a fantastically fun time. And then I went on a bit of a journey at Visa, dabbling in marketing and sales. And then I did a role that pretty much brought all of that back together, doing the thing that I love most, which is really working with small businesses. And then in early February of this year, after 10 amazing years at Visa, I realized I wasn't where I personally wanted to be. So I left that wonderful industry and a world that I knew all so well, um, and I really came out of my comfort zone. And I pushed myself into starting this role at Uber Eats. And sometimes, I think right now, I feel like a little bit of a lost child, but in that lost child in a candy store kind of way. So it's really been, um, it's been an exciting little journey. But I'm, I'm here because when I heard this topic um, about risk, I immediately went numb that word risk just sparks this incredible reaction in me. And I've seen myself um, as risk averse, or at least that was my definition of it. Um, Mm -hmm. But I've come to realize that I think I thought being risk averse would keep me safe. And when in reality, it held me back. It fed into my fears and my insecurities. So when this topic came up, it ignited this self-realization, and I knew I wanted to talk more about it. So that's what brings me here, and I'm so excited to dig in and, and talk with everybody about it. I love it. Okay, and and nobody can see it in the audience, but above Sarah in her office is this 
awesome sign. It lights up and it says sassy. <laughs> so we, we, we need to put a link as to where you could go and buy a sassy. Sign. Yeah. Sorry. <laughs> She's um, one and only. One and only. <laughs> All righty. Okay. Michelle, help us debunk this misperception, this inaccuracy that all women are risk averse. I know you, you, you can dispel this. Please. Oh my God. I have such strong feelings on this. And, you know, it's of course, Fire away. Know, <laughs> you know, doing the research for the books and then, you know, talking about them. I've, I've heard so many professional women say, you know, like Sarah does, Oh, I'm so risk averse. And then they'll go on and they'll tell me about these amazing risks they've taken in their careers. And there's just like mm-hmm. disconnect is I think women are conditioned to believe that we're quote unquote, supposed to be risk averse. And there's, there's some gender stereotyping that is involved and I've looked at a lot of the research on this. And I mean, obviously, there are some differences between men and women. There are certain risks that men are more likely to take, like the, the risky sex, the, the drinking, the speeding, the driving stuff. I mean, I'm not arguing about that part of it, but that women are more likely to take social risks, which means speaking up and saying the thing that nobody else wants to say. And I think part of that's because women have more experience with it. I mean, how many of us have been in meetings where we're the only woman in the room where you risk one speaking up and being told, you know, you're aggressive, you don't know your place, you're bossy, blah, 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 or you risk being totally ignored or even worse, you risk being ignored. And then three minutes later, some guy, he peats the exact thing you said and gets all the credit and lots of praise. What a brilliant guy. Oh, so there's that. But there's also, um, you know, all of these studies, there's an amazing economist, Julie Nelson uh, in Boston, who looked at dozens and dozens and dozens of studies on gender and risk over the years. And she applied new statistical techniques to this. And she came out and she said, first of all, a lot of these have this big headline, women risk averse, but it's it's only so marginally statistically significant that they're really making way more out of it than they ought to. And she she said also, a lot of these look at the average. They don't look at the range of risk preferences between men men and women. And there's a 95% overlap. And so, you know, she's done great work. I highly recommend it, Julie Julie Nelson's work on on gender and risk. Um, But, you know, there's also some research showing that uh, in under stress, women are likely to make better risk choices than men are. Mm -hmm. In hindsight, Mm -hmm. they are better able to evaluate. Yeah, that was a good decision. That one, mm, not, not so much. And when women and men have little knowledge, men are more likely to look before they leap. And, but, but if you have a man and a woman with similar expertise and similar experience, uh, they're actually likely to have quite similar uh, risk preferences. And this is so important for everything from investment. You know, women get a tiny, tiny fraction. Women founders get a tiny fraction of venture capital money. And often it's because venture capital firms think that the women aren't going to take big enough risks to be successful enough to get a big enough return mm. or, you know, with medicine, you know, doctors make assumptions about the kind of risks women are willing to take or not with their treatment. And so, you know, women miss out, men miss out, you know, women get get stepped over for promotions because the boss is, oh, she's quote unquote, not going to take enough risks and everybody's missing out. You know, the investors are losing, the women are losing, the men are losing, the teams are losing. And so I've I've started to call risk averse, you know, the the A word. <laughs> and someone says it, my my hackles go up and, and I get on my soapbox. <laughs> 
Completely. Love it. Right. It, 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 um, and I'm just sitting here thinking that women are typically more self-aware, right? So to that point, you know, it, it, and, and more sensitive to, you know, reading the room, right? And so that, to your point, you can see how it, like, potentially holds us back. And, and we, need to, we need to shed that. And it's, you know, it's really shed that about fear, not that self-awareness. Shed the fear. And the self-awareness thing, right? is actually really powerful yeah. because when you're able to look at a risk and assess it and, assu- and assess how you're approaching it, you are actually materially reducing the risk because you're increasing your capacity to respond to it. Right. So risk awareness and risk savvy are such powerful risk management tools. And, you know, they're also why there's research that shows that among women founded startups, you know, they're actually much more likely to succeed than startups founded by men, because it is this risk savvy that gets applied. And so being risk aware is not being, you know, the other risk, a word that I'm not going to say anymore. Well, and, and, and I'll never forget this. I took an entrepreneurial finance class in, in business school and the professor said, okay, the number one way to ensure you are successful is to anticipate what could go wrong, right? You know, so you're de-risking and, and it's, you know, it, 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 that's, it's like, that's how you tackle risk. That's how you navigate risk. Like, okay, well, what could go wrong? I'll think about that and I'll plan for that. And, you know, so let's, you know, plunge ahead. All right. We're going to ask everybody, what's the biggest risk you've taken? And then what's the biggest risk you've not taken or wished you had? Um, okay, Michelle, let's start with you. Well, so I, I always ask this question in workshops with businesses right. and it, it, the most amazing I set love that of you answers. That. <laughs> and, you know, you can tell people's just, you can, you almost see the light bulbs going on right over their head. And, you know, so for me, I mean, there's lots of them, but early on in my career, um, I had a choice. I was, I was a financial analyst um, on, uh, on Wall Street and writing about emerging markets debt. And I was paying down my student loans and I was mm, adding up to my 401k and it was, yeah. it was great. And, you know, I was, you know, interviewing presidents and finance ministers, um, but I got sick. I was diagnosed with, with chronic fatigue syndrome. Oh I had to take a six week medical leave and I was going to come back. And I'm like, yeah, I could do this. I was supposed to move to South America and open a bureau and, and, I realized a friend of mine, very successful financial journalist said, Michelle, you know, this, you're, you're, you should be doing more than this, you know, in his sort of very stern voice. And I realized I had this idea that I got sick because I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing and that I wasn't really achieving my full potential. I had this kind of book in the back of my head that I'd been really wanting to do. And so I came back to work after the medical leave. And one of the first things I did was I quit. (laughs) <laughs> and I go. went and um, I, I, you know, I, I went to the Dominican Republic for the summer, wrote about the elections in the country, you know, went to, to Haiti, where there's lots of people with machine guns walking around and coups all the time. And uh, I wrote my first book, uh, Why the Cox Fight, about the Dominican Republic and Haiti. And that actually leads you to, to at least to the next question, the, the, what's the biggest risk you didn't take? Yeah, because, uh, you know, I, I, I was asked you know, people, the, what, what, what's the biggest risk you take question. And journalists came back and asked me, you know, smarty pants. So as, as I was explaining this to them, I thought, wait a minute, I had a situation. I looked at two risks and I actually chose the least risky 
of the two risks, even though to the outside, it looks like I took this really, really big risk. I was actually avoiding the other risk. And, and I realized, you know, if I don't have health, I don't have career. So I could either, you know, lose this, this seemingly safe career path, or I could lose, lose my health and the seemingly safe career path. Wow. So it, it really, it's why I always tell people, ask yourself riskier than what? And it's why I always ask the second question, you know, what's the biggest risk you didn't take along with the first one? Yeah. All right, Chelsea. Yeah. Yeah. I love these two uh, questions uh, together because the the second one really makes me scratch my head. But I think the first one I mentioned up front, um, which was absolutely the choice to walk away from a a 12 year career at at P&G to jump into Mm -hmm. um, my most recent career choice. And I think for me, what was interesting is, so I am, I, I won't use the A word, but I'll, I'll use the, I know we're going to talk about <laughs> risk types, right? But like, I am definitely somewhere between like prudent and deliberate risk type, which are the types of people who kind of, they like a routine. They like to know what's yeah. expected. I like to kind of see what's coming. And so this was definitely outside of my comfort zone. Um, and I think for me, it was, um, I, you know, so you all can't see me, but I am a, a, a woman, obviously, and then I'm a black woman. And for um, right, wrong, or indifferent, I've gotten a lot of signals in my life and my career to prioritize safety and minimize risk. Mm-hmm. And so I had, you know, as as I was um, about a year ago, about a year and a half ago, I started taking a step back, and I was in a great place in my career. I was on the brink of a promotion. Um, I had a network of fantastic and wonderful mentors. I was very close to the people mm-hmm. that I worked with. Everything by all in, um, all circumstances was great, but I had this little kind of like feeling in my heart and voice in my head where I started thinking, you know, am I doing things to um, not lose or am I playing to win? And am I doing things to remain safe and to, to minimize risk or am I going for what I want to be doing? And so as I started to weigh those choices, it really came down to, I I was very fearful to take this leap, um, but I didn't want to fast forward in five to seven years and wonder what would have happened had I, had I made a different choice. Right. And so I made the choice. Um, Yeah. And then in terms of the risk, biggest risk I've not taken and I love this question. And it actually, the risk I didn't take actually ended up being a risk in and of itself. But um, so I mentioned that I'm a black woman. And so I, um, there were points in my career and my life where I chose to minimize parts of myself that were unseen um, because of what could be seen. So I'm, I'm also a gay woman, but that's obviously something that people can't usually tell. I'm, I'm feminine presenting. And so um there were times in my life, particularly early in my career in my life, where I said, you know what, I've got enough to deal with because there are enough things that are visible that make me other or yeah. perceived other. Yeah. So I'll minimize this part of myself because I have enough that I, I need to deal with, like I said. And, and, and I mentioned that that ended up being a risk in and of itself, right? Because I do fundamentally believe that we're all here for a very specific purpose. And I think what enables us to achieve that purpose is who we uniquely are. Like we have these unique pieces of ourselves and it's also fundamental to innovative and breakthrough thinking is that we all bring those individual and unique pieces to myself. And, and so I, I remember I had this, um, this 
this point in my career where I realized it was a bit of, it was like enough. I was living with my partner at the time and I was working for PNG and I had a coworker who was backfilling me coming over to pick up some samples. We used to get samples and sales and I was kind of transitioning those samples over to him. And we had a two bedroom apartment. And um, obviously my partner and I were in one bedroom and the other bedroom was the office, but I was so fearful of this person finding out that my, that I had a partner and that we were sharing a room and living together that she and I spent, he, he had texted me and said, Hey, I'm going to come over 30 minutes earlier. Is that okay? I had this freak out moment where she and I basically ran into the office and were moving all of these samples out into the living room so we could shut both doors and he would never know that we were actually living together. And I recognized that like, at that point, I just kind of said enough because not bringing my full self to my career, not bringing my full self was just frankly exhausting. Um, but then I, I also realized that that's a part that makes me unique. And that's a part that if I'm withholding, I'm, I'm, I'm withholding potentially innovative thinking and ideas. So that, like I said, it ended up being a risk in and of itself. And is obviously something I'm not doing today, but. Yeah, no, thank you for sharing that. That's that's amazing. Um, and I, and I love too, what you said, like, am I, am I trying to avoid losing or am I playing to win? Right. That's so spot on. All right, Sarah, last but not least. Uh, yeah, you know, I think there, there's probably a lot of different ways I could go with this, but I think that the biggest risk that I've taken is actually the second best biggest risk that I've taken was actually born out of the first biggest risk that I've taken. I won't spend a lot of time on the first one, but it was leaving a marriage. And when it wasn't working, I took that risk to kind of leave this marriage that was just not right for me. Um, But I had to go back and find myself. And it took me a long time and wasn't the easiest of journeys. But I look back at that journey now and I see so much growth in the person that I've become. But that journey was a big factor in the biggest, the second biggest risk that I took which is the one that I started off with at the top of this podcast in February, I left this amazing, very similar to Chelsea. I left this amazing 10 year career at an incredible company. So stable provided me with so much growth, so much opportunity. Um, and I left for a much higher perceived risk yeah. on the surface. Uber didn't look like this stable choice. It's a younger company. It's riskier. It's challenging. It's in a very challenging industry. It's incredibly innovative. They're taking risks all over the place. And let alone, I went to a role that was completely new to me. There are parts of this job that I have never done. I'm constantly Googling words and concepts on the daily to keep up with the innovation that's (laughs) happening around me. But I knew it was a potentially more negative risk for me personally, if I stayed at Visa. And I started to to lose who I had fought so hard to get back. And so going back to that first risky decision of of leaving my marriage, I had lost myself. And I here I was feeling like I'd done so much work to find myself. And I was at risk of losing who I am. And so I know we're going to break here for a little bit and I can come back and talk a little bit about how I got back to being sassy Sarah, because it's what brought me here. Absolutely. And that is going to, you know, everybody's going to be like, I am not leaving this podcast. I need to come back <laughs> and hear that big risk that Sarah did not take. And and we're also going to dive into, you know, tips and advice and, you know, hey, how do you navigate risk in, in the most, you know, positive and impactful of ways? So please don't leave us. We're just going to take a quick commercial break. 
thank you to everybody who's been listening in so far to our Advancing All Women radio show and podcast. You can always check us out at nextupisnow.org or on our Next Up Is Now LinkedIn community for more information on Next Up and all of our shows. So we'll be back in just a couple minutes. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. For over 20 years, Next Up has been bringing professional women, allies, and corporate partners together to champion gender equity and advance all women in their careers. Together, we are a powerful, growing community of over 14,000 members and 300-plus regional and corporate sponsors. We work to create leadership opportunities, amplify women's voices in the workplace, and ensure that all women in business can seize opportunities in the now and in the next. Members of Next Up gain access to a broad community of like-minded professionals dedicated to women's equity and leadership development across our 21 regional communities. Get best-in-class leadership development opportunities and attend our two annual national conferences, which bring together the strongest minds in DEI and B and leadership. Join Next Up today. Visit nextupisnow.org slash membership to learn more about becoming a member. That's nextupisnow.org slash membership. Our thoughts and feelings not only affect our own lives, but the lives of everyone around us. Find new meanings of love, authentic expressions, and better connections with the people in your life. Tune in to Love Light with Dr. Jean Marie Farish. This program will feature guests and discuss ideas that will bring a better life to you. When you find this perspective on love, it will change everything. Listen live every Friday at 12 noon Eastern Time and 9 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. There are lots of unanswered questions about life's problems, and this is especially true about spiritual life. Why can't we see God? Why is there evil in this world? Why does God let bad things happen to us and to others? Can we get divine help? Join Carl Mollison and co-host Brian Kelly for Get Wisdom. They have new answers from the Almighty you need to hear. And listening could definitely change your life. Tune in every Friday at 1 p.m. Eastern Time, 10 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. You are listening to Advancing All Women with host Sarah Alter. Want to learn more about the show and about Next Up? Visit our website at nextupisnow.org. That's nextupisnow.org. Now, back to Advancing All Women. All right, welcome back, everybody. I know you're dying to hear from Sarah on what was the risk (laughs) She didn't take, but just a reminder, you are listening to Sarah Alter in the Advancing All Women radio show and podcast, and we are talking about risk 
today. I am joined by Sarah Pugh, Director of Merchant Marketing at Uber Eats, Chelsea Alexander, Vice President of CPG Brand Growth, Packable, and Michelle Wooker, author, founder, and CEO of Gray Rhino and Company. All right, Sarah, the risk you didn't take. And 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 do you regret it? Yeah, you know, it's I we we just talked about how I got back to to finding me and this this being very authentic uh individual and, and finding sassy Sarah as she is now uh affectionately known. <laughs> um but you know, I was I had spent so much time and and taking the risk that I did recently um to find myself and get back to the things I know. And I think a lot of that was because I was allowing where I, where I was, was really allowing someone else to control my career. I was like this little marionette, right. You know, everybody just saying where they thought I should go. And so I danced around into all these different jobs and there I was and not really figuring out, well, is that really where I'm, where I'm supposed to be? And so it was very harmful to me to stay in that position. And so now I'm out of this comfort zone. But um, I think when I think about the risk that I didn't take, kind of goes back to before I, I really knew that I, I was being puppeteered, but it was, I was still working in PR at the time. I want to say it was back in 2014. And a former boss of mine, uh, Ryan Donovan, he called me up and he had left to go to another new company um, working in PR. And he, he was a very tough boss, but, uh, but a good one. He taught me so much about PR and helped me really become, <clears throat> excuse me, a better practitioner. And I'd been at Visa for probably about two years at this point, And I really liked it. Um, there was, it was kind of this creme de la creme. If I was working in financial services, PR, oh. payment pay, PR, it, was, it mm-hmm. was exactly where I wanted to be. But simultaneously, I was offered this opportunity to stay at Visa, go, but to go work in a division that was just starting up, corporate marketing, reputation marketing. And this job, you know, the job was come help us build our reputation with small businesses. So here I was just spending 10 years, 15 years in, in small business. And I was like, oh my gosh, this was like a dream job. But it was untested. It was a role that wasn't flushed out. There was no real team. It was, you know, this kind of an idea of a team. And last but not least, I would, I would, this decision kind of came up here. I would leaving a year, this wonderful career in PR that I had built and I loved doing. And I felt like, well, this is where I'm supposed to be. I like PR. I'm good at PR. Mm -hmm. And and mind you, I failed a whole bunch of marketing classes in college. So what was I thinking going to like a marketing job, right? So there's these two risks on both sides. And I think, um, you know, Michelle was talking about it earlier. It's like, what's the least of the risk? And so I either stay in PR, but I leave Visa or I stay at Visa, but I leave PR. So it's this little pendulum here. And so I chose to stay um, and I changed careers, which, you know, the I, I can't tell still to this day what was the, the riskier things, but it was probably less risky to stay because I knew if it didn't work out, Visa was going to be great about, you know, Visa was great and continues to be great about moving you around to explore new opportunities. Um, you know, at the time I was, I was tired of PR and needed to try that something new, but, and this was before the, I knew the right words to use, but I realized now that I was sticking to my values. I chose something that allowed me to be more authentically me doing something that I loved, which was working with small business. And, and in the end, it put me on this new course. It took me down some wonderfully meandering turns but it grew me far greater than any other choice of staying in PR, but leaving Visa. And I eventually, you know, I may have eventually found my way back to where I am now, 
but man, I sure enjoyed that journey uh, I took to, to get mm-hmm. to where I am here. And it would have been, it was seemed like the, the less risky of choice to stay, but it really put me on the path to where I've become. Thank you. For so that's my that. journey. <laughs> All right. So let's shift to advice, like advice and guidance. And, and let's start like as an individual leader, you know, what advice and guidance would you, you give to another individual who's you know, weighing these personal or professional risks, and then we'll kind of shift into what businesses or leaders can do for their team members. But Sarah, let's start with you. What advice or guidance would you give? You know, when it comes right back to to what I was just talking about, I think that the best advice I can give, and this goes to anyone on any, no matter where you are on that journey, to know your values. And I remember the first Next Up Leadership Forum that I went to, and it was in 2017. Indra Nui, the former CEO of PepsiCo, was on mm-hmm. the stage, larger than life virtually at mm-hmm. that time. Um, and she was asked a question about her career and decision-making. And I'm probably going to get a little bit of this wrong. Memory is, is fading me. But she talked about how she never strayed from her values. And it just hit me. I don't know. I don't know what mine really are. And I started working with a coach at that time and I got a core set of values. And now they're, they're written on my wall, literally above my head and sassy. Um, they're in my journal and they're in, they help me every single day in making decisions. And I don't know if I don't know how to do something or I feel that fear coming back up because I'm about ready to make a risky decision. I go back to my core and my values and my number one value being authenticity. It's the thing I value the most. So if you, if you don't know your values, yeah. Go on a journey yeah. to find them, try some things out, realize what it is and it is not important to you. Get hurt a little along the way and push yourself out of that comfort zone mm-hmm. because navigating risks to me means knowing how to evaluate the risks, relying on your core strengths, your values so that you can see through those risks and realize that, you know what, if you fail, if you fall off your bike when you're 10, it's okay. You're going to get a little bruised along the way, but you're going to get back on the bike and you're going to learn how to ride. You're going to learn something new that makes you stronger, makes you smarter. And I think as a leader, it's it's on me, it's on all of us to set that tone that it's okay to fail. And I talk to my team about this a lot. Rely on what you know, learn what you what you don't know and make a decision and take a risk totally grounded on insights, but see what happens. It might fail, but you've probably learned something out of it that makes you stronger. Absolutely. Now, I... I chased a title and I sacrificed my values at one point in my career journey. So no big surprise that, you know, that whole scenario imploded. (laughs) Didn't quite work out that way. (laughs) No. Okay. All right. So Chelsea, I I loved what you shared when we were prepping for the show. Um, Share your strategy. This is, this is another fantastic piece of advice. Yeah. Yeah. And so um, for me personally, sometimes when I'm thinking about whether or not to take a risk, I can sometimes find myself uh, paralyzed with all of the potential things or like the impending doom or the potential things that could go wrong. And so a mentor of mine talked to me about a method, which I, I, I execute now often is uh, learn to progressively drive out ambiguity. So sometimes, especially when you're thinking of something really disruptive, it can be really scary because all the things between what you're doing now and then like all seem very uh, large, risky, scary. And so what he, what, what you do with driving out or progressively driving out ambiguity is 
what are all the things that can go wrong between now and then? And how do you start to progressively learn on small chunks of them? Because now you're not looking at the gargantuan thing that could be bad. You're looking at a portion of it. So instead of saying, gosh, this launch of a new product could go really bad because we've never launched this in this kind of category and people don't know, people don't recognize this type of innovation to, well, maybe the people in these five stores or these five states recognize this. And what are the hypotheses as to what could potentially go wrong? And how do I test that small and then learn? And then maybe I test in 10 states and then maybe I test in 20. Um, and it's almost like kind of biting off chunks of the risk to drive out some of that ambiguity that keeps you from getting from point A to point B. Yeah. And it, and, and I, I've, I've often tried to, to apply like similar approach in celebrate the smaller wins, right? Yeah. Like, it's like, to your point, you know, we know we want to get the product out, but if there's like four steps in that roadmap, it's like, let's celebrate success on the first. Let's you know, I, I love that. Love that. Um, Michelle, tell us about the risk fingerprint. Well, you know, it's been so interesting talking to, to Sarah and Chelsea about both you know, values and sort of the habits and processes that they use. And those are both parts of the risk fingerprint. So the risk fingerprint is a concept. Think of your, your actual ringer, fingerprint. You know, you are what you risk. This, this fingerprint identifies you as clearly as the biometric print when you're going through the airport through global entry. Mm. Um, so a real fingerprint has three parts that, well, it, there's actually four parts. The imprint is what's left behind on the glass, the crime scene that tells the world who you are. And those are the choices. You might think of it as say, your, risk, your risk profile, the, you know, the choices, the things you're okay with, the things you're not okay with. And then the fingerprint itself is what left that imprint. And the first of the three parts is like the whirls and the arches and the loops that sort of de genetically determine pattern on your finger that you can't change. And it's, it's why it's such a powerful identifier. That's your innate personality. It's what you bring to the situation. It's how uh, you know, methodical or impulsive you are. It's how anxious or calm you are in dealing with risk. So the second part is your experiences, the things in life. Think of if you've cut your finger with a knife, that's actually going to leave an indelible imprint on your fingerprint. I mean, you know, it's going to change the, 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 the print you leave behind because there's a scar, but that interacts with the innate personality traits. If there are some people who will cut their finger with a knife and they're like, oh, I cut my, cut my finger you know, I've lived no big deal. You know, and it's actually like a, a risk muscle, like they've practiced it and they've learned it and it gets stronger and other people never, ever want to see a knife again. You know, they're like, give me a spork, no knives. And uh, so that, that second part is the, the experiences and, and how they interact with your personality. And the third part is where we can really do the most, make the most difference and, and grow as much. And that is your experiences, your habits, uh, your social environment, your physical environment, uh, you might be interested to learn that there's all there are all sorts of surprising influences on the risks that you take. If you eat spicy food for a few hours afterwards, you are more likely to take bigger risks. If you're listening to super upbeat music, if it's colder, all of these things that, that affect your, your body, your biology and your neurobiology change your risk taking. Social groups there's research that shows that if people are together, something 
that's called they called risky shift happens and that's that groups are more likely to take either much more conservative or much riskier decisions than the sum of the individual parts when people come together and then of course there are the the habits you know the, the progressively you know reducing ambiguity and uncertainty you know a lot of people think that they're afraid of risk taking but what they really don't like is the uncertainty the ambiguity the not knowing how things are going to turn out and the more often you embrace that the better you get at it it's it's like exercising a muscle self awareness as as i mentioned earlier you know if if you're aware of what you bring to a situation and a choice you can alter your environment you can alter your habits you can be more mindful that actually objectively changes the risk so when you know about the components of your risk fingerprint and how that affects the choices you make it it affects you know the job you might take the people you surround yourself with you know what what you have for lunch all of these things and i get asked a lot you know is there an ideal you know risk fingerprint which is like asking is there an ideal snowflake snowflake because they're so different but um there's a tool that that i often use called the risk type compass it's a psychometric test but, uh, that comes out of a group called psychological consultancy in the uk and they will give you one of eight personality types and so people say is there an an ideal type i said no but the ideal thing is understanding your type understanding your innate personality and then working with your circumstances making choices that optimize your environment for your personality you know do the thing that that brings out the best of that personality and surround yourself with people who can make up for maybe the weakness of that personality so i just realized i'm lame you had sent us a risk assessment that we were all supposed to take did you take it sarah Chelsea, I, I know. Oh my goodness! Yeah. Chelsea did. Oh, Chelsea. Well, I, I, star rock today. star, rock star guest, Sarah. Shame on you! And I know, I know. Sassy's talking, going off. True, Sassy. Like, I kind of knew, right? <laughs> I kind of knew uh, maybe where I was going to fall. So, so Michelle, is that something we can share with the audience? I'm like putting you on the spot. Absolutely. Yeah. And I can, yeah. And I can, you know, you can, you can share the, the link to, there's a blog post it. on my site with a, with a code that lets okay. you take the abbreviated version of it. And um, I can tell you, I, you know, there are eight personality types and then there's yeah. a, the, the, how close you are to the center or not, which means that, you know, how strongly you are tied to one personality type, or if you're a little bit more flexible, flexible. And I'm a mildly intense, which is, brilliant because it's an oxymoron and obviously i'm very intense about risk if you, if you hadn't picked that up mildly you, intense i do it's a, you that. know that i understand I, all the different personalities I, i'm so sort of towards the middle of it all right chelsea are, are you okay to share you don't have to if you don't want to <laughs> uh i think i maybe i took the wrong one but i think i fall somewhere between uh prudence and the deliberate risk type Okay, but that it that to me it sounds like you're leveraging facts. There's a strategy. You're tying it back to your values, like Sarah said. Yeah. yeah. Well, I, and I actually wanted to pick up on something that Michelle said because I think about you know we've been talking about leadership, and here I am. I've got this new team of amazing um, talent at the table, and we're all coming together next week. We have a meeting for all of us to come together, and I was just thinking about what a wonderful exercise 
for a new team to come together and understand what we're bringing to the table. And I, Michelle, we've had some conversations yeah. and I had a development meeting with one of my team and uh, we talked about, I actually brought up the risk fingerprint because it was so evident about some of the decisions that this employee was making about things that had happened about previous roles. And it really helped us identify a great go forward model for how we think about what we're going to bring to the table and how we want to orchestrate different roles and responsibilities on the mm-hmm. team. And what it, what an amazing way to start thinking about how those teams come together. Um, but but I, you also said something about, you know, bringing, finding those teams where you get to really stand up and be who you are. And that's, you know, the exact reason why I made the decision that I was, was because I, I, I'm scared all the time at this job, all the time. But at the end of the day, I walk home and I may be working more hours than I want to. And it's, mm-hmm. but I love it because I'm doing exactly what I should be. And I'm taking risks much more on an everyday basis because it's this unknown. It's this, um, you know, world that I have no idea, but I feel so much more comfortable in taking risks because I'm, I'm confident in being out outside of my comfort zone. Well, and and I think too, you know, it, it, like building that or embedding that into the the, the culture of your team and, and yeah. you know, and your conversations and your strategies, right? Mm-hmm. It, 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 it can only drive innovation, right? And we're all in this place where we are transforming the norm, right? The old way of living our lives, the old way of doing our jobs. It doesn't work anymore, <laughs> So, you know, embedding it, you know, says, so as you sit there in our audience, if you're like, okay, well, I'm a business leader. How do, how does, how does this help my team? I think it's, it's pretty self-evident, you know, build it into your conversations, you know, build it into your development plans, right? Have those conversations, have everybody take the risk assessment mm-hmm. test, which Sarah, you and I need to go back and do, but um, the, the other thing it's interesting, Michelle, as you were talking about it, like with the risk fingerprint, um, the whole concept of PTSD, right? So like this happened to me in this last job or team or with this last boss, and now it, it keeps resurfacing in this new, you know, adventure or with this new boss or, and I just have to imagine that that emotional baggage that I cut my finger I don't want to cut my finger again, can also hold us back, right? Like, you know, we've we've been talking about it a little bit in our team that unfortunately we've had some team members where, oh yeah, they were in toxic environments or cultures or companies. And, and, and we want to help guide them through that because it's like, nope, you're not in one now, (laughs) you know, so you should be able to embrace risk. Absolutely. And I think, you know, going back, you, you can ask yourself, okay, what, what did I take? from this, you know, I survived it right. and I right. can, I can move forward. And, you know, and I think that if people do still have PTSD, being aware of what makes you more comfortable being in a situation uh, or situations that we just need to draw very clear boundaries and say, I'm going to avoid that. I mean, I, I went through a series of betrayals, both uh, personal and professional. Mm-hmm. And I sort of realized that earlier in my life, I was, I was a patient one. You know, I would, you know, be very, very patient for a long time, you know, water off a duck's back. And mm-hmm. I realized that I needed to get mad faster and set up boundaries faster. And so that actually uh, made me realize that there were situations I'd been comfortable with that I probably shouldn't have been so comfortable yeah. with. Yeah. 
And so I change it. And so I think if you can be self-aware and just that self-awareness, you know, it's funny when, when I finished graduate school, so I budgeted, you know, five and a half hours of sleep during graduate school. Cause I had a, a part-time quote unquote job. that was like 35 hours a week that involved like going to war-torn places while trying to juggle all my classes and stuff. And so then, you know, had this, 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 uh, this, uh, yeah, stressful wall street job afterwards, you know, going through markets and, and, um, and I was, and I had this, this, it was the end of a, a high maintenance relationship. And, the, and I was trying to write this book on the side and all this stuff. And one day I started crying, like, and I had no idea why. And I hadn't cried for years. Mm-hmm. And because I'm like, you know, it's just kind of like a stiff upper lip kind of person. And so I thought, like, okay, like, I need a stress specialist. So I found this great cognitive behavioral therapist who had me at the beginning of the day say, oh, just write down how stressed are you? What's going on that contributes to that? And then just to do that middle of the day and end of day. And just the process of being aware and writing that down made me feel so much more in control of the situation. And so just that that self-awareness of the risks, of the background, of the things, that actually is a hugely powerful tool, more powerful probably than than I even realize. Yeah. Now, and I'm just sitting here thinking, you shared you know, my job while in school, I'm going to war torn areas, you know, my job while in school, I was selling shoes. So (laughs) I was selling sunglasses right there with you. Right. Okay. (laughs) Like we don't even hold a candle to you. Um, do that kind of stuff anymore, by the way, (laughs) that's for 20 somethings. No, but, but I loved, I think you said it earlier that you, 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 you have to develop and then flex that risk muscle. And I really loved what you had said, Chelsea, which is, and and I would imagine, and Michelle, correct me if I'm wrong, but it's the other way is just to take smaller risks, you know, like, you know, once a week, it's like, okay, I'm going to take this risk, you know, and if it's a smaller risk, it, it allows you then to develop and really flex that muscle. And then it strengthens you to tackle even those bigger risks, you know, in your journey. Um, uh, we are out of time. No, I hate this voice America. I, we need a two hour show. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Um, you know what? Thank you so much, Michelle, Sarah, Chelsea. Thank you so much for joining us today. And just so, you know, just so graciously sharing your stories and your perspectives. And I, I know everyone's going to walk away from this discussion and and they're going to be like, okay, I got to take risk. I got to read the two books that Michelle's written. I've got to order from Uber Eats. I've got to take the risk (laughs) assessment. Um, Chelsea, what do they need to do for Packables? (laughs) How can they support you and your amazing company? (laughs) Uh, Purchase on your uh, local uh, third-party marketplace. So most of the major retailers have a a third-party marketplace, but uh, primarily we do business on Amazon and Walmart marketplaces. Awesome. Everyone's going to do that. Okay. Well, hey, audience, thank you so much for listening in today. And thank you for coming back every week. We love, love, love our listening community. Thank you, Voice America, for giving me and Next Up the opportunity to share our voice and our mission with you. But most importantly, to be able to shine the spotlight on incredible leaders like these three individuals. Okay. Next week, We're going to be discussing how do you build diversity 
into your marketing and service strategies. And there are a couple of great examples of brands and companies that have done that. Um, So make sure you come back next week to listen to our show. To learn more about Next Up and to listen to all of our podcasts, check us out at nextupisnow.org. And hey, if you have any ideas for great shows or great topics or great guests, please connect with us on our LinkedIn for Next Up Is Now. I'm Sarah Alter, and thank you for always listening. Thanks for listening to Advancing All Women with host Sarah Alter. Be sure to tune in again next week. Our program is live every Friday at 10 a.m. Eastern, 7 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Empowerment or catch our replays weekly on Voice America Influencers. Until we talk again, enjoy your week.